Hey guys, thanks for checking out our podcast. We hope this week's message inspires you and encourages you. Feel free to check out our website for more information. Here's today's message. Doesn't that just does something to your soul, doesn't it? Or or this? This beautiful. They're not all like all the, the photos, they're not all good though, because there's some that are not quite, not, not quite so good. And then some of them are outright disasters. Some churches were good. <laughs> some, not so good. Some churches are train wrecks. Just, just as a Baptist pastor, that's the denomination that I work in, I know of at least a handful of churches in our city, um, which I, and, and probably most of my pastoral colleagues, would describe as serial offenders. I got a, a friend, and you know, in the Baptist church, what we what we do is if, um, when a church is looking for a new pastor, we usually appoint like an independent moderator, someone who actually, just, just to lead the, the church through the process of searching for the new pastor. This guy, let's call him Peter. Peter um, is a moderator for a church that's looking for a pastor at the moment, and it's a church that I would certainly describe as, as a serial offender. Um, and uh, obviously, we're not going to mention any names here. And he was talking to myself and one of my other colleagues who would also describe this church as a serial offender. He was talking to us recently at another meeting that we're at, and he was telling us how he's the moderator for this church. <laughs> and, and what he said is, he was sort of saying it in a humorous way, but he absolutely meant it. He's, because the moderator would generally, his or her job would be to call someone who the, the church might, might speak to and interview about the job and say, listen, would you, would you like to come and have a chat to the church? And Peter was saying to us, he said, everyone I call, he said, as soon as I say I'm the moderator for this church, and I'm, he said, it's like the conversation finishes straight away. <laughs> he said, no one wants to talk to me, literally. Some churches, I mean, like, what are your ideas of church? Is church good? Not so good? You know, somewhere in between? Or is it just a disaster? You had a good experience of church? A bad one. Um, we've, uh, we've all either had experience, or if not, we've seen, or we've heard, or we've read about church which doesn't work so well. People get hurt. God gets tragically misrepresented. Outdated traditions, well, quite frankly, they just bore people, B-O-R-E. Pastors and leaders fail. 
Now, if all that's true, we wanted to ask this morning, is that anything like what Jesus intended for his church? What do you think? And by the way, nowadays, we tend to use only one word. We'd say that's a church. We, 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 we only use one word for church. Church. And it kind of covers different words that the Bible first used for church. So here's a few. I want to give you the Greek words. Skene is the first one. And skene, it, it means a tabernacle. It can mean a stage or a tent. And you know that the original ta- tabernacle in the Old Testament was a massive tent. Uh, the next word there, naos. Um, that means the temple or the sanctuary. You know, sometimes we wouldn't use that word here for no reason. It's just, we just don't. But like oftentimes people will talk about what we're in now as the sanctuary or the shrine. And the last word there is synagogue, and it means the synagogue. Or, interestingly, like the place of assembly. So all those words, which are words from the Greek language, so some of them from the New Testament, and, and then some of them, so, so skene especially, um, from the Greek version of the Old Testament. All right, so they're Greek words. They're Hebrew words as well. I've just given you the Greek ones. You look at that. All those words, they, they refer primarily to a place or to a, a, like a structure or even like a, a building. Look at this word. Here's another word. This word is ecclesia up the top there. And this word, I mean, it was originally used just to describe a gathering of citizens who would be called out from their homes into some public place, whether it was in a building or not, but it was, it was talking about a gathering, all right? Then as it became applied to Christians, it, was, it, it, was, it came to mean an assembly of Christians gathered for worship, ecclesia, right here this morning. Um, it could also mean a company of Christians who observe their own religious rights, hold their own religious meetings, manage their own affairs. So no, you see, as soon as you say that, you don't need a building for that anymore, do you? All right? And then the last one, those who anywhere in a city, village, constitute such a company and are united into one body. And it can also mean, and it does also mean, the whole body of Christians scattered throughout the earth. Do you notice, when it comes to ecclesia, it's no longer talking about a building or a, a structure or a place. And so when Jesus said, maybe you've heard these words before, when Jesus used those words and he said, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. You may have heard it said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Well, when he said, I will build my church, that's, he, he used the word ecclesia. You see, that's what he promised to do. Jesus never promised to build buildings. Um, nice and impressive as they might be. 
what Jesus promised was to build his company of believers. And he promised it so hard and so assertively. So like when he said, all the powers of hell, the gates of hell won't be able to stand against that church. He effectively said, if you wanted to put it into modern vernacular, is best of British luck if you want to try and stand against it. Because it won't work. And it wasn't just Jesus who loved and championed the church. Paul did too. And we're on our way here on Sunday mornings through the apostle Paul's life. Paul, the apostle, who, who wrote around about half of the, the, the content that we've got in the New Testament, in the letters of the New Testament of our Bibles. Paul, um, focused, perseverance, exemplified. Is that really hard to say? Who thinks focused, perseverance, exemplified is difficult to say? Oh, we've got a few. All right, so you're banding together with Tash. Who thinks it's not at all difficult to say? I think those are against have it. Well, anyway, that's what we're doing. And week by week as we've gone through the, the life of Paul, um, our eyes have been opened, haven't they? We've witnessed this extraordinary man's life so far. Yeah, focused perseverance. Exemplified, like he, he just demonstrates perseverance. He's already hit some some biggish hurdles that we've seen. And, and there are more of them ahead, and they're going to be more in number and more in intensity. He's going to write letters to churches down the track as well. Hasn't yet. And in some of those letters, most of them, he'll actually talk to churches, and we said, you know, what's the church? Good, bad, indifferent. He's going to speak rebuke and warning to those churches. It'll be amidst love and encouragement, but it'll be truth nevertheless. But one of those letters he's going to write, and you know what? There, there won't even be one syllable in it of correction or rebuke or discipline. All four chapters of it, all 104 verses of it. This is a legendary church. It's a legendary ecclesia, this one. Friends, right at the outset to know today, Jesus' church working right, which includes you, is awesome. By now, uh, we've been with Paul and Barnabas and their partners. We've, we've been, remember, on, on Paul's first missionary journey. After that, when they got back, they've been in Antioch, Paul and Barnabas, 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 I've got mixed up on that so many times, Barnabas. Um, now they've been down south, we saw them last week, they came down to Jerusalem for the Jerusalem Council. They had almighty debates there, sharp sharp debates among the Christians and their leaders. And it was about, remember we talked about the right, R-I-T-E, the right of circumcision. It's busy. It's 
footsore, is weary, heart weary, this man Paul. So often misunderstood. Sadly, wrongly, unfairly misrepresented. He's pursued by, by many anxieties and cares. Solitary. Lonely life that he's got. Yeah, like he's self-contained and he's heroic. He's enduring. He has a tender, warm disposition. If you don't believe that, just check the minute and particular greetings that he closes his letters with. His tears when he, when he parts from his friends. His anguish of mind because, because he knows he has to speak these words of rebuke. And he knows they won't be well received, but he has to speak them nevertheless. His anguish of mind. And then his longing for companionship. I remember a few years back, Joe jo Borg, Joe's not here this morning. Joe jo sent me a text and she was just telling me she'd been watching the movie. You know, um, um, Paul the Apostle, that movie that came out? And that picture of Paul the Apostle right near the end of his life, just alone in his prison cell. Such a powerful scene. She said, You've got to watch this. And I did. But this man, he's a genuine tenacious servant and so by now this morning he's on his secondary second missionary journey so if you've got your bible check back at the end of acts chapter 15 and he and barnabas have just had a disagreement but it's not just a disagreement it's a sharp disagreement do you know what it's over john mark who'd been with paul and barnabas for their first or for the first part of their first missionary journey we don't know exactly why but he had left them halfway through that journey he had deserted them and gone back home and now fast forward to the time of the second missionary journey Barnabas wants to take John Mark with them, and presumably John Mark is willing to go. He wants to take John Mark with them on their second missionary journey. Paul does not. These guys have not just a disagreement, but such a sharp disagreement that they split. That happens, you know. Friends, you take virtually any situation there will always be at least two perspectives probably more one way or the other they split so now it's not paul and barnabas anymore it's paul and silas accompanies him on this second missionary journey so look where they go we're going to map up here um, here's where they go. Um, you know that they, they start here in Jerusalem. They go up to Antioch where they've been. And you can see they make their way across. All up through here. If you read another time, you'll see that they're actually planning to go up here. But, but the Holy Spirit tells them not to. So they can't. So they make their way then to Troas. This seaport. Hey, 
as they go, they meet some people. Like, you know, don't you? When you meet good people. Good people. Good, 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 good people. My friend, Laura, she had her birthday on Friday. I wrote on her Facebook thing, um, I wrote on there, like, you know, Laura, um, champion of the first order. Happy birthday. Pastor Nick, my friend Pastor Nick, up here, if you would, would you put, uh, thanks Gracie. Um, Pastor Nick, this was, um, you can see it's in, in the building site where, the, where, we're at, where we're building the campus of our school there in Manila. Pastor Nick, he's in his, he's in his mid-70s, look at him, and, and like I said, always, like always, a big smile on this guy's face. Pastor Nick, construction guru with Kids International Ministries, champion. This guy lives in what we would call abject poverty. But there's never a time I've seen Pastor Nick without a smile on his face. You know, you know good people. You know when you mean good, good people. Check out some of the good, good people that Paul and Silas come across on this journey. Luke is the first one. Luke is a beloved physician, doctor. It seems that he actually met Paul and Silas at Troas that we just saw on the map. Well, we're not sure, but there's every chance because we know that Paul struggled with health issues through his life. Um, it, it could be that his acute disease, even malaria, he had malaria at times as well, that it had returned. So somehow, one way or the other, Dr. Luke came to Troas. It wasn't just to care for Paul then and there, but to travel with him. Why is he a good, good person? Because we know that Paul suffered much and he was physically frail, even though his spirit was dauntless and vehement. And so these two men instantly form a close, close bond. And Luke, he's the same Luke, by the way, who is the author of the book of Acts in our Bibles and the book of Luke in our Bibles. Luke wrote that. Uh, Luke writes both those books. We often refer to them as Luke Acts. Luke wrote them. It's the same Dr. Luke. But he's not part of the group. Because look at this. If you look in Acts chapter 16, verse 8, it's describing the first part of the second missionary journey. And remember that Luke's the author. We know that. So instead, they, they went on through Mysia to the city of Troas. And then, in the very next verse, the narrative changes, which is why we're saying that Luke obviously met them at Troas, because look at that. That night, Paul had a vision. He saw a man from Macedonia in northern Greece pleading with him, come over here and help us. So we, so we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, for we could, not only, we could only conclude that God was calling us to preach the good news there. So he became a, a dear, dear friend to Paul shoulder to shoulder with him through all that was to come. Through imprisonment, through house arrest, through persecution, through suffering. Look what Paul said from his Roman prison cell under the, under the streets of Rome in Colossians chapter 4. Paul wrote this in one of his letters. He said, Luke, look at the beloved doctor sends his greetings. And in another one of his letters, he wrote from his Roman, 
prison cells. He lists, before he writes about Luke, he lists the people who've deserted him and who've, who've run away and who've gone, who've disappeared. <laughs> but only Luke is with me. That's what he says in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Luke. Luke, legend. Legend. Lydia, legend. Lydia, the legend, is in Philippi. That's the place where this, where this legendary church is, you Philippian legends. This, this, this good, good ecclesia church is going to be. Look what happens. On the Sabbath, we went, this is Luke writing about the second mission journey, on the Sabbath, we went a little way outside the city to a riverbank where we supposed that some people met for prayer. And we sat down to speak with some women who had come together. One of them was Lydia from Thyatira, a merchant of expensive purple cloth. She was a worshipper of God. We'll often see that. Uh, we, we talk about some of these people, they're Jews, but we talk about as God-fearing Jews or God-seeking Jews. So they're Jews who are thinking that there's more, but they're seeking. That's what it means. As she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart and she accepted what Paul was saying. She was baptized along with other members of her household and she asked us to be her guests. If you agree that I'm faithful to the Lord, she said, come and stay at my home. And she urged us, urged us until we did. What that means is she wouldn't take no for an answer. Come stay at my place. So if we just look at the map again, all right, so we can see where we are now. Thanks, Gracie. Uh, up there, here's Philippi up there. All right, so remember we said they were at Troas. That's where Luke joined them. They've then sailed across here to Neapolis and then gone inland to Philippi. And that's the letter that you got in your Bibles that says Philippians. Lydia, this legend. She's probably a widow. She's a woman of considerable business acumen and capacity. She's had energy enough to leave her. Remember, it said that she's from Thyatira, which is down here. So she's had energy enough to leave her city of Thyatira and go not just across land, but across sea to Philippi. She's an agent for the sale of purple dyed garments, and they come from her native town of Thyatira. Um, they're not, it's not a reject shop. She's not just, not just selling garments. They're high-end, expensive garments. And she's well off too. And more than just that, she's an eager seeker after God. There's a tiny Jewish community here at Philippi, which is now on European soil. It's too small, it's too poor to have its own synagogue. So they meet out of town by the river on the Sabbath. And every week as the Sabbath came, just like Devo told us about Jaden, the legend, before, every week Lydia's there. She's with members of her household. She's listening to the Jewish scriptures. And she's seeking after God, if she might find him not realizing, as it says 
when Paul was preaching in the book of Acts in chapter 17 and he says, not realising that God is not far from any one of us. And then it's one memorable Sabbath when only women are present. And these strangers, these, these Jews, Jewish men, they appear in a little circle. And the rest is history because Lydia meets Jesus that day. And then she talks Paul and his friends into staying with her. And you track her through in the years ahead. If you, if you read this, you track her through. And she's a driving force in what becomes this legendary ecclesia at Philippi. This legendary Philippian ecclesia church. No other church performed so large a ministry, probably because no other church could. They were for the most part in deep poverty this church and yet what they put out in terms of financial offering was massively significant and extravagant it did not reflect their poverty at all anyway that's Luke that's Lydia and then one more legend the jailer <laughs> who's the jailer well we don't know his name but Paul and Silas, uh, one day while they're in Philippi, you can read about it in Acts chapter 16, they come across a, a demon-possessed slave girl. She's a fortune teller and she earns a lot of money from, for, for, not from, she earns a lot of money by telling fortunes for her pimp masters. People who exploit her and, and effectively employ her to tell fortunes that they get the cash. And she follows Paul and Silas around and, and it's like she's taunting them and she's mocking them. She's, she's referring to them as, you, you servants of the Most High God. And it goes on. It's day after day until finally then, one day Paul, it says there in chapter 16, verse 18, he got so exasperated that he turned and he spoke to the demon within her. I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And instantly the demon left her. And you think, that's good. That's good. Well, but her master's hopes of wealth now, they're, they're shattered. So they, they grab Paul and Silas, they drag him before the authorities in the marketplace, and then a mob forms. Isn't it amazing as people, how quickly mobs will get together? It starts with just a few people. They're jumping up and down, but then a few more jump on board. And then there's just more than just a few angry people that started, now there's a whole lot. It's contagious. And Paul and Silas, they're stripped, they're severely beaten with wooden rods, it says, then they're thrown into prison. They're going to be in prison overnight. The jailer, the legend jailer, he's ordered to make sure they don't escape. And he doesn't take any chances because he knows if they do escape, he'll pay with his life. So he dumps them in the inner dungeon. This inner dungeon is right under his house. If they're going to come out of this dungeon, it'll be through his house. It's right under the quarters where he lives with his family. He clamps their feet in the dungeon in stocks. And then it's around midnight that night, and go figure, I mean, you've probably read this a hundred times before, and, you, and it just washes over you like it does me, but like, you're in jail, you're in stocks, your legs and your feet are in stocks, 
you're going to be you're going to be in court again the next morning and it's midnight and what are you doing well as you do they're praying and singing hymns to god and the other prisoners are listening in there's an earthquake the prison is shaken to its foundation all the doors fly open the chains of every prisoner fall off and then when that's all going on all the commotion the jailer wakes up realizes what's happening assumes all the prisoners have escaped remember we don't have light switches in those days to be able to put the lights on the seas assume that they've escaped so then he pulls out his sword and he's going to kill himself might as well kill himself rather than be killed for letting the prisoners escape but paul shouts to him don't do it <laughs> we're all here Look what happens, verse 29. Trembling with fear, the jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down before Paul and Silas. He brought them out and he said, we asked this question last week, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Friends, you know what happens around good churches like the Philippian Ecclesia? It's good to be reminded. I'll tell you what happens around good churches like the Philippian Ecclesia. People get to meet Jesus. That's what happens. People get to meet Jesus. When the Ecclesia is focused on doing its job, when it's got people like Lydia and surely lots of other legends as well, because it was such a legendary Ecclesia, but we know about Lydia. When it's got people like Lydia leading the way in it, when it's had people like Luke investing in it, you know what? People get to meet Jesus. Look in verse 31. They, they replied, believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with your entire household. Then they shared the word of the Lord with him and all who lived in his household. That same hour, the jailer then washed their wounds and he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. Then he brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. You Philippian legends. Jesus' church working right, which includes you, is awesome. It doesn't take anything more than ordinary people who put themselves in the hands of an extraordinary Jesus to make a church legendary. Just this week I've been reading this book, Letters to the Church by Francis Chan. Thanks, my friend Todd gave it to me. Have we got that photo of the book, Grace? It's important. There, there, you've got to see the photo of the book. Letters to the Church by Francis Chan. And what a book. Um, like I've, I've read almost all of it in two settings that's how good it is and it powerfully reminds me of God's high design for his church and it reminds me that it's his design it's not mine and Sorry if you're thinking it was, but it's not yours. It's not Francis Chan's. It's not even Paul's. It's Jesus' design, and he uses 
ordinary people. Now, he uses ordinary people. Don't ask me why. Friends, listen carefully to this. Don't ask me why. I do not understand or grasp the answer to this question that I'm about to ask you. But God, by my observation, more often than not, listen, allows himself to be contained by us. By us people. Our foibles, our attitudes, our culture, our self-centeredness, our entitlement, our wrongs. And that means, just like we said at the start, that, that, that we've, we've all lined up somewhere. We've all seen it. We've all heard it. We've all felt it. You know, a not-so-good church. God, more often than not, chooses to be contained by the people. And the question I'm asking is, well, why? Like, if, if I'm God, I'm not going to do that because I want to get my kingdom into the whole world, yeah? I don't understand exactly why, but I, but I believe that he does. We, we have here at church uh, what's called our prospectus. Just like it's a, it's a description. It's a, it's a document that you read that tells you about the church and where we've come from and where we're heading and how we're set up and how we're organized. And we're just in the process right now uh, in, in, the, in these days of working through the prospectus because we, we review this every five years. And uh, the blurb in our prospectus, and I... I imagine that there'll be something just like this in the updated and reviewed prospectus, but this is what it has said for the last 15 years. No, no, no it hasn't said it for the last 15. I think it's for the last, the last 10 that it's been in, in there, this blurb. The blurb at the very start of the perspective, it says this, and I quote, Mill Park Baptist Church in Melbourne's rapidly expanding and growing northern suburbs is a great church to visit. It's an exciting church, and it's an awesome family to be part of. We recognize that we have an awesome responsibility. That is, we're part of God's church, God's ecclesia, city, state, country, and worldwide, and we have the most important job on earth, helping to get the good news of Jesus to people through all the world who need to hear it. The most important job on earth. So now, if that's true... And if it's true that, that as we've, we've talked about several times over the last few months, we've, we've slowed up a bit in that in the last 12 months. We've navigated some hard things in our church, some conflict and some tensions. So if that's true, and if that's true what I just said about the last 12 months, what now? What now? Bearing in mind the Philippian legends... Bearing in mind that, 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 that it doesn't take anything more than ordinary people who put themselves in the hand of an extraordinary Jesus. What now? Look at some of the things that Paul actually wrote to the Philippians. This is in his letter. Philippians, in your Bible. Philippians chapter 1, verse 9. He said, I pray that your love for each other will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in your knowledge and understanding. He said in the next chapter, chapter 2, verse 2, then, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other. 
loving one another and working together with one heart and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't live to make a good impression on others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. So what now? For Mill Park Baptist Church, hey, this morning, my friend, if you're sitting here, and if you're visiting from another church, you can ask exactly the same question for your church, exactly the same question. The question is, what could you bring to the table? What could you bring to the table? Jesus' church, remember, working right, which includes you, is awesome. I've got some little suggestions here. They're not the only ones, I'm sure. But some. The first one is love. Is that a cliche, Jeff? You know, like you can just answer love to any question, can't you? What's the answer? Love. Or otherwise you answer Jesus. Love or Jesus. Yeah, <laughs> yeah maybe cliched, but maybe true too. So definitely true too. Love. Um, you don't have to be, to love each other, you don't have to be, you know the word unanimous? You don't have to be unanimous. One of the linchpins of a Baptist church, and, and we're not strong denominationalists here, are we? But, but if you read the history of the Baptist church, one of the linchpins of the Baptist denomination is what we call freedom of conscience. In other words, we embrace diversity. It's okay to think different things. So you don't have to be unanimous, but we do have to be unified. Two different words, unanimous, unified. We, we don't have to be unanimous, we do have to be unified, um, because while we're not unified, we won't be going anywhere. Most important of all, it says it in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, most important of all, and that means what it says and says what it means, most important of all, more important than anything else. More important than anything else, continue to show deep love for one another. That's what it says. Loving one another. Do you know, um, we've just recently talked about this a few times. We've, we've recently, at the end, well, at the end of last year we did it, but our natural church development, NCD, it's the survey of our church, diagnostic survey on, on how we're going. Um, take a look at this. Um, because what it does is it gives you a printout. And on the background of this slide that you'll see is that printout. I'm not intending that you try and read that printout. That's not why it's there. That printout is actually telling us um, the, the, what's called the dynamic progress of, of our loving relationships, which is one of the things in the church, the dynamic progress of that. And you can see that um, there's a question on there, and it says, I know of people in our church with bitterness toward others. See that it went from last survey two years ago, from 49 to this survey, 225. It's a 24-point drop. It's the biggest drop on any question that we had on the whole survey. And it's the lowest score now of any question that we had on the whole survey. It speaks for itself. I know of people in our church with bitterness toward others. Friends, Jesus' church working right, which includes you, is awesome. The second thing that we could talk about is serving. Um, Jaden, that was great. Um, 
and becoming a youth leader. You'll be a good youth leader, mate, won't he? <laughs> you'll, be a, you'll be a legend at that. Um, you know, there's been a wide trend across churches. Um, you, you know, at the, at the start of COVID, everyone was just saying, ooh, this, 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 there's going to be good come out of, I don't mean everyone in Mill Park Baptist Church, everyone, everywhere, you know, Oh, it's going to be good. We're going to learn what's really important now. We're going, to, we're, going to just, we're going to get rid of the things in our lives that aren't so important and we'll do what's really important and we'll all help each other. How many times did you hear that rolled out? My own theory, Jeff Shepard's theory, is that the opposite happened. Over time, the opposite happened. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll learn what's more most important. I'll learn what's most important. You know what it is? It's me we became even more entitled than we ever were in history. Me! And if we talked about what's most important and, and doing stuff for others, we did the opposite. We did less for others than what we do. And it's reflected uh, whenever I'm together with pastors, I was with a group last week, with another group the week before, it's reflected right across the churches, right across different denominations, big churches, small churches, even really big churches. You know what's happened? There's been a massive decline in volunteerism. And it's happened right throughout our society, but it's been very effective in the church. Massive decline in volunteerism. Um, this morning, I was here and I went in just getting ready for church. And, and there's uh, Lee May, and she's got her three kids, uh, Michelle and Jeanette and Kenneth. And they're in there and they're getting set up. They've got their green T-shirts on and getting set up for kids' church. And then soon, soon are, you, are you in here now, soon? There he is up in the back corner. And, and then, and there's soon, and um, and he's not standing idly by. He's he's on the welcome team, getting ready to welcome people to church. Um, such a beautiful, beautiful family. When we serve, when we serve. Uh, Deb and I last night we had really lovely, lovely night. We were with Raj and Lenny. Raj, you're up there. And they're just talking to us with this smile from ear to ear about the prospect of, of serving. Uh, Lini's already now, she's out in kids' church. And um, the prospect of serving in the church. Friends, we love and we serve. And the other thing is uh, we, we give. Um, we don't give because the church needs a donation of our cash. We don't, we don't give because, because God needs our money. We give as an act of worship to God. It's a way of saying, you provide everything that comes into my hand. Let me just return a little bit of it to you. Jesus' church, friends, if Jesus' church is working right, and if it's working right, it will include if you are one of his children and you're here today and you're not making a direct participation into that church, then that church is not working as well as Jesus wants it to. It's as simple as that. No matter who you are. No matter who you are. If you're one of God's children and you're not participating, then that church, whether it's this one or your other one, wherever you're from, is not working as well as Jesus designed it to. It's not going to be the Philippian Ecclesia legends. 
Hey, let's pray together. Thanks for listening. Let's see what God wants to do with that among us, hey? So just before I pray, I'm going to just, we'll go quiet for a moment. Just let the Holy Spirit just, um, just speak in whatever way He wants to. So whatever you need to do just to, just to tune in, especially to that, close your eyes. Whatever you need, just listen to the Spirit of the living God. Thank you that you have spoken to us this morning, Spirit of the living God. Thank you. Thank you for your word, which is powerful and effective. It's sharper than the sharpest double-edged sword. Thank you for the way that you speak your truth through it. We trust you now to take what's been said and, and Lord, to apply that in, in whatever way it needs to apply for each one of us and that as a result of that that you'd help us to be people who are who are not just coming and sitting in church and and appreciating what gets done and then going home but people who are people who are loving and serving and giving so that we're helping to make the church the legendary ecclesia that you want it to be. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.